Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So today's going to be another recent events episode because there has been recent events taking place and if they're going to take place, I'm going to talk about them. So let's get straight into it because there's plenty to get through as usual. So the first thing, and I'm going to address this head on because, uh, you know, just get it out of the way. Basically, there's been some drama around Lou Elizondo again. Surprise, so bloody surprise. So basically what's happened is there's been a youtube channel that had lou elizondo booked for an interview and uh, there was a uh, two people who who run this youtube channel a podcast uh, that that claimed that lou elizondo had behaved in a way that could be described as bullying behavior towards one of the hosts and i've done a bit of digging into it and it seems that what they're actually talking about is literally somebody told them that Lou Elizondo said something about them, which they've had no direct contact from Lou Elizondo, which could be described as bullying or abusive behaviour whatsoever. As far as I'm aware, no direct contact whatsoever with Lou Elizondo. So not only that, Lou Elizondo actually shared some screenshots of the email interactions that his wife had had with these individuals. And there was nothing in there whatsoever to suggest any kind of bullying or abusive behavior. So basically, I've just saved you a bit of time out of your life. There's nothing to see here. It's just one of those things where, you know, people are essentially just trying to get some publicity, free publicity from a bit of drama. And it's a shame to see this kind of thing, if I'm honest with you. that That's my take on it. Now, look, you may completely disagree, but... Um, you know that is what it is we're all entitled to our own opinion and that is my viewpoint um and i'm not going to name them because i don't want to give them what they probably want which is publicity and it really baffles me to be honest how somebody who literally has put their own life on the line in service in service of of the, their country and has achieved you know amazing things in his own career and basically let all that go to bring this topic forward 
that person can be hounded and accused of nonsense for the purpose of, uh, of a few clicks on a YouTube video or a few likes on a documentary. I honestly think it's disgraceful behaviour. And not only that, it's the kind of behaviour that is going to slow down the progress of on the UFO topic. And how, how are other people going to come out from the shadows if this is how they get treated by the quote-unquote UFO community? You know, we need to do better than this and we need to stop giving attention to this ridiculous behaviour. And I, I know I'm talking about it on the podcast here, which could be, um, you know, interpreted as giving it attention, but at the same time, I feel like it needs to be addressed. And just to finish off on this, there's a couple of posts which sort of summed up my thoughts perfectly um, as to why I'm so frustrated, basically, that Lou Elizondo seems to get such a hard time. And the first I actually noticed of this, just before I read out these couple of Twitter posts that I thought summed it up nicely, the first time I noticed it was I put a, a post up about Lou Elizondo that went sort of semi-viral and got a couple of hundred likes and retweets and whatnot. And um, it was about Lou Elizondo, how he should go on you know, a certain podcast to you know, give a plenty of exposure for the topic. And I was just totally unprepared for the amount of hate Lou Elizondo got. I mean, I just can't understand how Lou Elizondo can be hated considering his track record. It's, it seems totally logical to me. But anyway, let's get on to these couple of posts. So uh, somebody called Rob had commented under the Twitter thread that Lou Elizondo uh, started with his, with his kind of response to this ridiculous drama. And uh, the, the quote read, uh, quote, the fact that an actual American hero hunting terrorists, risking life and limb protecting the nation, has to deal with this kind of foolishness is beyond embarrassing. Please stop making us look bad. This is what drives away insiders and good people from speaking out. Unquote. So, I mean, pretty much sums up my thoughts quite nicely there. And then a reply from Adam Goldsack, who some of, some people may know from UFO Twitter, etc. Quote, Guy put his life on the line for his country, then put his career on the line to tell the world that UAP is serious business. He is the literal definition of integrity. Unquote. I mean, it says it all. That's one of those where I couldn't have put it better myself, so I thought probably just best to read out the actual quote because it sums it up perfectly, in my opinion. I know there will be people who disagree, and I know there's people who um, are not big fans of Lou Elizondo, etc. And, I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think Lou Elizondo is, is like, you know, untouchable and can do no wrong. If Lou Elizondo actually, if something comes out that that proves that Lou Elizondo has behaved badly towards this individual, of course I will take all of this back and I will apologise unreservedly and I'll condemn the behaviour. But there really seems to be actual no evidence whatsoever other than just literally uh, somebody's told the people involved that Lou Elizondo said something bad about them so they saw fit to do a whole episode about it. And, you know, it's just an attempt to get publicity in my opinion and it's really a shame to see. Anyway, moving on to some more productive news. Lou Elizondo also did an excellent interview with Joe Mergia a few days ago, and I just picked out a couple of standout quotes. Um, but as always, make sure you check out the full interview if you get time, as it's well worth it. And I always try and say that because I'll be talking about some articles and interviews and things today. And, and obviously, you know, don't take my word for it. Go and check out the actual original source of the interview or the article because. I just give a summary and at the end of the day it's well worth if you find that topic or that particular thing interesting go and check out the full thing because you will get the bigger picture that way so Joe Mergia the UFO Joe on Twitter 
asked about the 2019 videos which Jeremy Corbell released and he questioned Lou as to whether he could clarify whether the drones explanations pushed by certain people who you probably are aware of if you're on UFO Twitter uh, questioning whether those explanations about drones are at all credible and, and Lou basically cuts off the question and says honestly Joe it doesn't matter and he goes on to say, quote, stuff is happening every week. We can spend time talking about it if you want, but I'm telling you right now, there's information coming in almost on a daily basis from very sophisticated sensor systems, and it's very compelling. We're not talking about blips on a radar. We're not talking about fuzzy pictures, clear, compelling photos, unquote. And he goes on to say about how the information is now making its way up the chain through intelligence channels to the people who need to see it. This obviously is happening behind the scenes, but it's largely due to the efforts made by Lou, Chris, and obviously a lot of other people as well behind the scenes and in part due to the activisms of the, the efforts of the UFO community. And uh, quote, the construct that we spent the last four years trying to create is finally coming to fruition, unquote, was another uh, comment that Lou made just following up on that. And it will be very interesting to see how this continues to develop over this year and beyond because there is no question that a lot is happening behind the scenes now. The foundations have been laid over the last few years and now things are actually starting to, to get momentum. So it'll be really interesting to see how all of that pans out as we go along. So moving on from that, there was a, an article uh, from Chris Mellon on The Hill and uh, I'm just going to read out the tweet that Chris Mellon used to actually summarise the article before we get into um, what the contents of the article were. And that is, the tweet is, quote, the administration should be embarrassed by recent efforts to classify anything related to UAP. This is legally dubious, undermines civil military collaboration and contradicts DNI Haynes' complaints about widespread overclassification, unquote. And then the article goes on to talk about this in much more detail, including, uh, quote, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines recently acknowledged that excessive government classification undermines U.S. national security. As she wrote in January in a letter to U.S. Senators, it is my view that deficiencies in the current classification system undermine our national security as well as critical democratic objectives by impeding our ability to share information in a timely manner, unquote. And a lot of what the article focuses on is the the overclassification and the attempts recently to actually increase that to be able to essentially really tightly control what is released to the public. And at the end of the day, I do think that there should be some things that are classified. The public can't know everything. So I'm not suggesting that everything should be declassified and just open it all up and it's a free-for-all because I think that would be potentially absolutely disastrous you know i'm under no illusions that you know everything should be uh, completely open to the public because i don't think it should be but obviously something that i've been talking about a lot is to the need for more transparency on this issue uh, as we go along and another little bit from the article that i thought was really interesting is uh, quote 
This new blanket of secrecy is apparent from the DOD briefing guide on last year's unclassified UAP report, unquote. So the UAP report actually came along with an internal DOD briefing guide as to how people should actually, with people within the DOD, should actually be speaking to the public and reporters and things of that nature to ensure that there's kind of consistent messaging. Bear in mind, anything, any report that comes out, any issue that's being discussed uh, with media organisations and, and things like that is going to have a briefing guide internally so that everybody's on the same page with the comments. Otherwise, it could be chaotic. And uh, going back to the actual quote, which states, except for its existence and the mission slash purpose Virtually everything else about the UAP task force is classified per the signed security classification guide, unquote. So essentially they were told that apart from the actual existence of this UAP report and what it's all about, virtually everything else is tightly under wraps. And uh, as I say, you should read the whole article if you're interested in this side of things. Chris Mellon's articles are always worth a read. Uh, but just uh, to finish off another quote here, this is a bit of a lengthy one, but I thought worth going into. Quote, further evidence of this new effort to suddenly classify photographic information, which a formal US Air Force investigation recently determined did not cause any damage to national security is evident from the UAP Task Force Security Classification Guide, which appears to classify virtually all data analysed by the task force, yet the dissemination of those famous unclassified videos, GoFast, Gimbal and FLIR, actually enhanced national security by facilitating awareness on the part of the government and the public that we appear to have a strategic vulnerability which needs to be addressed, unquote. Which is a great point, because actually what Chris is saying there, in my opinion, is that secrecy only really works to a certain extent. When things become over-secret and you're just classifying things for the sake of it because you're worried about certain things coming out, then you can end up really shooting yourself in the foot. And actually, the release of those three videos actually enhanced national security because it made people aware, made the public aware, but also made Congress aware of the fact that there is a vulnerability there. There are things in the sky and it needs addressing. Whether you think those are drones from China, whether you think there's some kind of off-world vehicles, whatever you think there are, there is a strategic vulnerability there and it does need looking at. And sometimes the way to be able to create that awareness, to be able to raise awareness within the public and also within Congress, who are the ones that are actually going to be able to change things uh, to do with these kind of uh, topics, the way to do that is to be a bit more open. You know, I'm not saying open the floodgates, but a bit more transparency wouldn't go amiss. So we're going to move on to another article, and uh, this one really, really interesting. I really enjoyed reading this. Um, Liberation Times published an article this week entitled "Acquire, Assess, Exploit." NASIC set to enter the UFO arena. It was written by Chris Sharp and it was published on the 9th of March. I'm just going to read a quote from the article here. Quote, Yesterday, the much-delayed Intelligence Authorization Act 
IAA 2022 was unveiled and it includes language that suggests gears are shifting regarding the US government's unidentified aerial phenomena efforts. The IAA legislation in its current form means that the new UAP office, whose mission has been legislated by Congress, will now be providing quarterly UAP reports, in addition to the bi-yearly reports required by the National Defence Authorisation Act 2022 legislation. But the most prominent sentence came as a surprise to many. The Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defence shall jointly require that each element of the intelligence community and component of the Department of Defence with data relating to unidentified aerial phenomena makes such data available immediately to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force or successor entity and to the National Air and Space Intelligence Centre, unquote. So I know that's a bit of a lengthy quote there, but I thought it was all very important information to get in. The article explains how the involvement of the National Air and Space Intelligence Centre, NASIC, I'll refer to it as from now on just to make it easier to say, paves the way to its potential involvement in exploiting UAP technology. NASIC, which is based at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, would likely lead any reverse engineering efforts involving UAP. Now, the article actually goes on to talk about the reasons why that is likely, that it would be them that are actually spearheading the, the reverse engineering efforts. And it goes into how reverse engineering efforts would likely unfold if crashed or landed technologies actually have been recovered, as many of us suspect that they have. It actually details a fascinating case of a Russian pilot in 1976 defecting and flying a secret MiG-25 Foxbat aircraft to a civilian airport in Japan. Now, the Russians obviously demanded the return of, of their aircraft, but this didn't actually take place for until two months later. So when the aircraft, uh, the MiG-25 Foxbat aircraft had actually been thoroughly disassembled and analysed. Now, the reason for that is that the MiG-25 Foxbat at the time had some capabilities that the US didn't have. It was apparently the, the fastest jet in the world at that time. Now, the reason that this is all relevant is that it kind of serves as a blueprint for how reverse engineering efforts could actually happen. So how did it happen? How did it unfold? at that time so the united states air force foreign technology division which is now known as nasic as i mentioned earlier went to work along with the cia and the defense intelligence agency though reverse engineering was actually directed by the foreign technology division most of the engineers doing the work were actually from defense contractors such as mcdonnell douglas general dynamics Pratt and & Whitney and Raytheon. And I'm just going to finish off with another quote from the article here. Quote, To illustrate how reliant the Department of Defense and other agencies are on contractors, one source from a defense contractor provided the following comments to Liberation Times. I have worked with NASA, DARPA and the Naval Research Laboratory and know that they rely heavily on contractors. Unquote. 
So very interesting to, to consider there how reverse engineering efforts when you're talking about adversarial technology like this aircraft have took place in the past and to be able to kind of figure out how things would actually unfold if that happened in this day and age which it may well be uh, taking place you know right now with with potentially craft that technologies whatever you want to however you want to assume that the what form they take they could be working on reverse engineering that right now and if they are it would most likely be in a very similar way and it would that means it would be the dia the cia nasic and that would heavily rely on private defense contractors to actually help to carry out that work in fact that's how you often see these things playing out like orsap for example was basically a contract that needed to be fulfilled by a private organization and there was a there's a bidding process where you put this contract out and then private organizations actually get in touch to say that they can fulfill the needs of that contract and it's quite likely that based on looking at those historical accounts that that may be a good indication of how any reverse engineering efforts on off-world craft, if they have indeed been recovered, you know, gives you a good idea about how it may be taking place. Now, moving on from that, then um, there's an upcoming meetup with uh, UFOidentified.co.uk. Anybody who listens to the podcast for a while now may remember me saying that I went to the minicon that they did uh, in Preston, organised by Ash Ellis kind of the head honcho UFO identified and there's going to be another meetup happening uh, later this month so anybody who's in the north of the UK in particular definitely worth trying to go along to this if you can the minicon that I went to was really interesting I learned a lot and it was just great to be able to meet up with a few people and talk about UFOs basically so the website announcement reads as follows on the night, we will have Christian Lander giving his fascinating presentation on a relatively unknown case of a UFO crash in Nottingham. We will also have entertainment from local stand-up comedian Steve Harris, as well as a raffle and food will be provided at the break. Come and meet fellow like-minded UFO enthusiasts, hear about the very interesting case and discuss all things UFO in a safe, non-judgmental space. And you know what? It's just nice sometimes when you're interested in this topic to actually be able to have conversations with people who are also interested in this topic. You can sometimes end up chewing other people's ears off. You know, that's an expression. I don't know if, if people have that elsewhere in the world. But it basically just means, you know, when you when you talk to somebody who doesn't really want to hear what you're talking about. And it can often end up like that with the UFO topic. So I would definitely recommend everybody go checking it out. So it's Wednesday the 23rd of March, obviously 2022, 7 p.m. And it will be around about from 9 till 9.30. So just once again, that's the ufoidentified.co.uk. You can go to the website there and check out all the details again. But it's Wednesday 23rd of March, 2022 at 7 p.m. And the location is the Hare and Hounds in Altrincham, and that's WA157LY. But you're better off, really, if you want to check all these details, just go to ufoidentified.co.uk and you'll be able to find it there. It is tickets tickets only, so you just have to uh, message Ash Ellis or email ashufoidentified at outlook.com. But anybody who is in the Northwest, I highly recommend going down. 
unfortunately i won't be able to go to this one because it's a long story but people who've listened over the last few episodes may know i had a bit of an issue with my car so i'm currently in a courtesy car at the moment and um because of the the various issues with the car that i've had financially things are a bit tight at the moment so i won't be able to afford to go to take the night off work to go down and um, but hopefully i will be going to the next one um, and I, I keep saying this things keep coming up but it will happen um so anyway while we're on the topic of ufo identity friend of the show dave smethurst who you may have heard on the voices of the community series who just published a, a really interesting article on the ufo identified website and the article is called crypto conundrum a hair's breadth from the truth and it focuses on the concept of crypto terrestrials so as you may know if you've been looking at this topic for a while there's no doubt that something is going on in our skies and possibly elsewhere on on this planet uh, that we don't understand and that's basically a fact now as we know the 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 pentagon have confirmed this we've had a multiple high level intelligence officials high level people within the military who have come out and said that there is definitely something to this but there are competing theories as to what actually is responsible for these strange events and, and and things that are being witnessed and one of the explanations is extraterrestrial that's the one that everybody knows the extraterrestrial hypothesis things are coming from other planets elsewhere in the universe and coming here to the earth but there are also a lot of other theories and, and hypotheses as well and the crypto terrestrial hypothesis is what dave's article actually focuses on and there's some very interesting points mentioned in the article and as i said this is quite a long article so you might want to set a little bit of time aside to to actually read it and i would recommend having a read of it because it's it's definitely a a, a worthy uh, usage of, of your time it's very interesting but so i won't go into all the details but just to give you a basic idea of, of what we're talking about here is what if the the others the intelligences behind some of the the strange things that are being witnessed are actually been sharing this planet for, with us for a long long time and we know for a fact that there have been cataclysmic events here on this planet is it really that much of a stretch to suggest that one of those cataclysms may have actually wiped out a pretty advanced civilization that was here on the earth and potentially the advanced civilization in order to to keep itself going basically in order to stop itself from being completely wiped out could have actually moved underground and that all sounds quite science fiction-esque but if you think about it, it what's more science fiction really you know aliens coming from another planet somewhere else out there in the universe or the fact that there may have been a very advanced civilization here on the earth who have somehow survived a cataclysm by potentially going underground or under the oceans or who knows somewhere in on this planet and they've continued to to live in their underground or undersea or wherever it may be their concealed environment that they've created for themselves they've just continued to stay there and they may be so advanced that they don't really have anything to gain from introducing themselves to us humans and we know for a fact that these cat catastrophes and cataclysms happen and have happened many many times throughout our planet's history so it does seem to to be a possibility that 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 may have happened in the past now 
obviously the article goes into a lot more detail about um, you know some of the the reasons that that may not be the case as well so th there's no definitive hard proof here that you can point to to say ah, it's most likely going to be that but it is definitely interesting to consider all of the different hypotheses that are on the table in my opinion and there are definitely some some questionable parts of our history that don't really add up and uh, one part of the the article i really enjoyed was dave actually goes through a, a quite a lengthy bullet pointed list of some of the things that that potentially point towards evidence of some kind of very advanced civilization here on this planet and just a few of those are the pyramids all across the earth advanced agricultural techniques producing seemingly impossible yields in some high altitude areas a very ancient undisputedly man-made soil called terra prata which is all over the world is extremely fertile and maintains that fertility indefinitely and then you've acoustic advanced acoustic knowledge in buildings ancient concretes that are far superior to ones used today evidence of advanced metalwork and industrial process at ancient sites often written off as temples by archaeologists sophisticated cutting coring and digging tools which produced machined edges and the list goes on and on and it's really worth a read of the, of the whole thing as i said but this is something i've mentioned in the past on the podcast quite a bit especially the unbelievably high precision objects in the serapium in egypt that's one that always sticks out in my head and and uh, ben from uncharted x has done some fantastic videos on that particular area which are much better and much more detailed than what I can go into here. But when you see the precision on those boxes and the fact that they were supposedly created by a, a society which at the time had fairly primitive copper hand tools and you see in unbelievably precise cuts and perfect angles cut into solid granite, some of these boxes are 100 tonnes and they were managed to be maneuvered and manipulated and, and created into these perfect shapes. And that all supposedly happened thousands of years ago. It's something that would have been very difficult for us to achieve a couple of hundred years ago, let alone thousands of years ago. There are definitely some interesting things to consider there. And again, it's not to say that that is definitively what is behind the UFO phenomenon, but I, I think it's we've got to keep everything on the table. And not only that, Lou Elizondo has actually mentioned about some of these things recently as well, and uh, there may be gaps in our history and things like that. And and the work of people like Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock was, was ridiculed and laughed off five, ten years ago. And a lot of elements of what they've, they've talked about have now actually become accepted by mainstream science so there's definitely something there and it's an area that i'm going to keep digging into to try and find out more about as we go along so um yeah nice one dave great article anyway moving on then another article so this one's avi Loeb, and this one is uh, an article that was actually published on avi Loeb's medium account but i think it's just now today also been published on the debrief as well an excellent news website which is also worth checking out but the article basically focuses on initially on comparisons between communication methods used in the film Arrival. So just quoting here directly from the first paragraph of the article, quote, I was recently invited 
to attend an interdisciplinary discussion with linguists and philosophers coordinated by the Mind-Brain-Behaviour Interfaculty Initiative at Harvard University. The conversation will revolve around the challenging of uh, the challenge, sorry, of communicating with extraterrestrials as portrayed in the film Arrival. Unquote. And then the article actually goes on then to examine some similarities and possible ways that we could actually communicate with any extraterrestrial life, which may exist in the universe. So again, this is specifically talking about extraterrestrial life. You know, um, or it appears to be from from that that sentence anyway. But what I found really fascinating about this is that the link seen very directly here between some things that I've been talking about recently and things that have been haunting me sort of about the UFO topic in general, specifically the concept of another civilization having existed in the universe. An, an intelligence somewhere out there whether that's whether that is on another planet or whether it's another dimension or or it could be that they existed on this planet as i mentioned earlier these are all these competing hypotheses that i'm talking about and nobody really knows you know but what if there is some kind of other intelligence somewhere out there you know because the universe is very strange and we don't understand everything about it but what if this civilization evolved a billion years ago? You know, it's all too tempting to sort of think that life started to evolve around about the same time. It evolved on this planet and loads of other planets out there. But that's actually probably not the case. I actually reached out to the the uh, the wonderful Exo Academian recently. Uh, I was wondering about this and whether or not he's heard anything about any actual calculations that may have been done regarding the possibility of um, you know life evolving out there in the universe and the timings involved of how probable it is that it would have been a similar time as us and whatnot. Um, I think he's going to answer that question as part of his next listener questions episode, which will be really interesting to see what he has to say, being such a sort of knowledgeable scholar of the UFO topic. Um, but anyway, getting back to the actual point, what what Avi actually refers to in this article is, is really fascinating because it mentions what if the civilization, the society, the intelligence may have evolved a billion years ago created some kind of artificial intelligence long before humans or even like before humans were even a thing and then this society this intelligence possibly may have met an unfortunate end and it may be that this has happened multiple times out there in the universe you know or in some other dimension or whatever and if that has happened there may be remnants of this technology of these civilizations even if there are no remnants of the actual intelligence that created the technology, it could be that the technology is able to sustain itself for potentially millions or billions of years. If it was that advanced in the first place, it doesn't seem that unreasonable. Anyway, having said that, let's get back to what Avi actually says in, in the, uh, the article again. So, quote, But the encounter with an extraterrestrial culture could also be indirect, it is conceivable that a billion years ago, extraterrestrials on a distant exoplanet around another star decided to publicize their existence or thoughts by distributing leaflets throughout the Milky Way galaxy. In analogy to letters in the postal service, mail or messages in bottles floating in the ocean, physical objects traveling through space offer the advantage of a means of communication that could survive for billions of years 
longer than the lifetime of their parent stars, unquote. Just fascinating. You know, I've talked about Avi Loeb quite a lot on the podcast before. He's a really interesting guy. And obviously with the Galileo project that that Avi Loeb was the founder of, um, we may well see some very interesting developments this year. But anyway, to stay on track, Avi actually then goes on to mention Oumuamua, which was a fascinating object that was witnessed and had extraordinary characteristics unexplainable by anything that, that we know about that's supposedly out there in the universe. Now, at the time this thing was witnessed, Avi had hypothesized that it may be some kind of probe or technological remnant of an advanced civilization floating through space, perhaps abandoned and no longer in use, or perhaps carrying out a mission, a reconnaissance mission throughout the universe. As time has gone along, Avi actually has doubled down on this and, and mentioned it again in numerous articles and seems to be of the opinion that there's actually quite that's actually quite a likely explanation for what this object was. And anyone who wants to learn a bit more about that, you can obviously read the multiple articles, the fantastic articles by Avi. And also, if you want to hear my view on it, you can actually search back through the archives and find an episode that I did um, about the, this particular topic, about Oumuamua. Uh, and I went into quite a lot of detail, uh, researched all of the various characteristics of what it was, when it appeared, uh, and all the various different theories to explain uh, what it actually could potentially have been but the fact is at the end of the day nobody really knows exactly what it is and um, that is another fascinating mystery but you have to wonder whether the the Galileo project's kind of mission is to look out into our earth's atmosphere and see if there are any technological remnants around and maybe it could be that if there was, as in the article that I was talking about earlier on, if there was at some stage a very advanced civilization here on this earth, it could possibly be that some of the things that are being witnessed could actually be remnants of that civilization. Perhaps that civilization would have had kind of probes or satellites, and maybe the civilization was wiped out without a trace. But some of those remnants still remain. It could be that there's a, a combination of all of these hypotheses as well. This is something that's definitely worth considering. Nobody knows really at this point in time which is the leading hypothesis. If you, if you, I suppose, if you listen to Chris Mellon, Chris Mellon recently, as somebody who is much, much more exposed to things behind the scenes that would give him a very well-rounded and uh, a well-informed viewpoint on on the ufo topic chris mellon actually said recently in an interview that the alien hypothesis the extraterrestrial hypothesis he's also said in other interviews as well is the hypothesis that best fits the data but that's not necessarily definitive it could be that he, that's a simplification of his views as I've mentioned on the podcast before because most people are most familiar with the extraterrestrial hypothesis but I think as this conversation grows we might see some of these other hypotheses actually kind of come into the forefront a little bit more and the crypto 
hypothesis, the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, some kind of remnant on this earth of a very advanced civilization, perhaps still existing on this earth, but undetected, it could be an explanation that, that starts to become more to the forefront. There's also the interdimensional hypothesis, the, the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis, the, the obviously the extra-terrestrial hypothesis. And um, we don't really know which one of them is, is the leading hypothesis. You can take Chris Mellon's word for it, the extra-terrestrial hypothesis, but it could also be a mixture of all of those hypotheses. What if it originated extraterrestrially and then came to this planet and then now exists in a kind of a, a crypto terrestrial sort of way as as, as Lou Elizondo says numerous times we have to leave everything on the table until it's not on the table anymore so interesting to consider i certainly don't have any answers i wish i did that's kind of partly why i'm on this journey to find more answers but anyway that's about all we've got time for for today in terms of recent events so i hope you've enjoyed listening uh, to my little roundup there of, of some of the the interesting things it's been a lot of articles hasn't it this this week but um there obviously has been numerous lou elizondo interviews as well that you can go and check out it's always worth keeping up to date with lou's um recent happenings uh, to see what he's, he's saying at the, at the present moment but until next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you in the next episode UFO Podcast.